Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie. And uh, today we've got Tash coming in for a one-off to help us out with co-hosting. So you're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, how are you going today, Tash? I'm really well. Thank you, Robbie. That is good. It's, it's good, good to, to have back. you back. Oh, good to be back. That. It's been a while. Jinx. It's been no. a while. <laughs> Excellent. So t- yeah. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit about what's been happening in your world since we last had you on radio. So I had semester, uh, it was school, uni, and I had my last exam this morning, and now I'm all done. You! You! Last exam. I got to tell you, That's man, good. last exams are are the best kind because then they're done. Yes. They're done. It was a very good feeling walking I, out of there today. I bet it was. I bet it was. Do you feel good about your exam? I feel content. <laughs> Maybe that was a bad question to ask. Moving right along. No. No, 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 I, had, no. I had an exam this week as well, I, so I've been doing oh. part-time study, and I've finished my one my one exam, and I was, I walked in there thinking, ah, this will be easy. Yeah. I'm going to go in, it'll be 30 minutes tops. And I was like, you don't need two hours to do this exam. I took an hour and a half, and I was like, that's as good as I can do. Here it is. Yeah. I can't do any better. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. And because we don't write a lot, like, uh, we oh, use was, computers yeah. a lot, and we're, we're typing. Exam? And when it's a written exam, your hand starts to think, oh, I actually don't know. Oh, wow, wow, this hurts. <laughs> I, you haven't used me like this since primary school. <laughs> yes, it's been a long time. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, man, and how about this wind? Is, I don't know if it's windy wherever you are out there, but it has been so windy here yeah. in Newcastle. And I, uh, I was wearing a puffy jacket today, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you a little secret. Yeah. I wore thermal leggings under my jeans. It was that cold this morning. I went for a walk with somebody at the beach. Wow, that's And cold. it was fresh. And I tell you what, when you're barefoot... Yeah. At the beach in this kind of weather, your feet, your feet are real cold. Now, I've, I've been a surfer for a number of years now, and mm-hmm. you, you kind of get to that from this point where you get out of your car and you, you run across the cold sand to the wet sand because it, once it get into winter, the water is actually warmer than the air. So the, the sand that's wet is the warmest sand at the beach. So I had a bit of an experience like that. We were walking out. Me and my mate, and we, we got out towards the water, and I was like, I'm walking right next to the water all day. It's going to be so good. But anyway, mm. it's going to be good. It's a good be way good. to start the day. I love it. I love it. So wherever you're at, wherever you're driving, whether you're wherever you're listening in from, I hope that you're keeping warm and toasty. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be hearing from, I believe, uh, Abby today in our Testify segment and hear a little bit about what God has been doing in a real person's real life right now. And we're also going to be going through the continuing of our story on Exodus chapter 6, which is going to be great. I'm looking forward to hearing God's response to Moses' big questions of why and what is going on. We're going to get into that, and also we're going to do our discussion topic today, and the discussion topic is, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And you can do that by texting or calling 0491-064-669. Stick around. It's going to be a great show. This is Bethany Dillon.
You are listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Robbie and Tash with Real Faith. And uh, it has come that time of the show where we talk about the weird and wonderful world that God has made. And I I am so, so excited to share some things with you. So, so oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. How are you I feeling, Tash? I can't wait. You excited? Yeah, I'm Because excited. last time you were on the show, you would share fun facts yes. with me. And <laughs> yeah. now I'm sharing a fun fact with you. So this is kind of exciting. We're, we're flipping the tables. All right. So because we're talking about uh, the Exodus story, and today we're talking about something. There's, there's actually what's called the genealogy in in the story today. And that's a portion of the <laughs> that's a portion of the Bible where you're like, this dude had that dude as a son, and that dude had that dude as a son. And then you and most people, when they're reading these kinds of things, myself included, have a tendency to get to that and just kind of and skip, skip to the next chapter. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna learn something interesting about that today. So I thought we would do some fun facts today about genealogies and family trees and uh, genetics. How does Ooh, that sound? That sounds does good. That sound all right. Excellent. Okay, so <laughs> it might be scary. Number one. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, question: What is a surname? It's a last name. A last name. Good job. Good job. You had this moment of, oh, anxiety, exam pressure. <laughs> I passed. I passed. All right. So so surnames, last names. Did you know that last names did not come into use until around the 11th century in Europe? Right? Like 11th century. That's like a thousand years ago. There are four general groups of surnames, those based on occupation, such as Mr. or Mrs. Baker, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Mr. and Mrs. Uh, I don't know, Cobbler, you know, some, some other kind of these, these other names. Weaver. Um, then there's those based on place names or ge- geographical features like Mr. Goodland or Mrs. Hill. Um, I actually know oh. some people by that last name. Huh. Names coming from nicknames or appearance like Mr. Brown, Mrs. Little. I, I always picked married names because, I yeah. don't know, it's genealogies. They're usually passing on... Genetics, so that sounds right. And those, number four, that are patronymic, meaning based upon the father's name, such as McAndrew, meaning the son of Andrew. Or my last name, as this person in this article said, Perkins, which means son of Peter or the kin of Peter. Huh. Isn't that interesting? This is just it's crazy. I, so what's what's your last name, Tash? It's Sua. Sua. Yeah. And that's a Samoan name? Yes, it is oh. a Samoan name. What does it, what does it mean? It, Do you know? It doesn't actually have a meaning. It's just a name. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. It's fascinating. <laughs> if you could change your last name to anything, what would you pick it? What would you pick? If you like, you get what I mean? You can change your name. I, like rapid I, fire. You got no oh, time I to like think. I like my last name because it's only three letters. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's why I never want to change it. Do you know what my last name means? Morgan. Yeah. Mean, it's a Welsh name and it means circling seas. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of like a pirate name. Anyway, moving on. All right. If you go back about eight generations from you... To, for, so for any person, if you go back eight generations, most people will have a whopping 256 ancestors. Well, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't even know how that works. So that must be, if you go back eight generations, all the people in the tree from you all the way back up in all those, all the side branches mm-hmm. would be about 256 people. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Hey, yeah, that's crazy. I wouldn't want to go to that family reunion and have to remember any cousins names. That's for sure. <laughs> So this is called an outbred family tree because it's going out. Um, and, you know, Charles Hadsburg is an example known as Charles II of Spain. He was so inbred he had only 29 ancestors, and he suffered some physical disabilities as a result of that. Um, so that's an outbred family, really broad, and the average person has about 256 relatives in that. That's crazy. Um, here's an American one. Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Ellis Island, which is where people came in before they during the immigration process leading into America and historically, if your surname was changed from its original spelling, it was actually your ancestor who changed the spelling when they came in. And the the reality is it was probably had a lot to do with a lack of knowledge on spelling. So a lot of people probably just didn't know how to spell their names. But uh, or when they were translated into English, they would spell it phonetically. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Yeah. All right. One more for you before we run out of time. Did you know that the symbols on headstones in cemeteries have meanings and sometimes they indicate information about family members you might not yet have found? So like those family crests can indicate images, right, about uh, sorry, symbols about your family. So lots of interesting stuff about genealogies. They can tell you a lot about people, a lot about your history. And uh, you should, everyone should go and look up their last name and try and figure out what is the, the history of your name and see if you can find out some of the cool people you're related to. I found out I'm related to a pirate. Isn't that interesting? All right, well, we're going to take a break for a song. And uh, this is Jimmy Needham, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Oh 
thumbs up. That's a good sign. So welcome back to our Testify segment. Today we have our friend Abby um, telling us a little bit about her story and what Jesus is doing in her life. So how are you going today, Abby? I am doing awesomely over here in Sydney. It's nice and not so cold for once. So oh, yeah, very good. I'm jealous. I was freezing all day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, I'm glad that you're you're doing well. I'm glad that it's the weather's looking good for you. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Abby. Well, I am uh, a pastor at uh, Greater in yeah in Greater Sydney. I am at Ashfield Seventh Day Adventist Church. I'm originally from Melbourne. I love scuba diving. I yeah have been blessed by. Uh, some friends over there, um, there at the radio station. So I'm very, uh, yeah, blessed to be a part of this today. And I'm actually about to go into a Bible study with some uni students. Because uh, besides being uh, a pastor of the church, I'm also a chaplain for the university students on campus. So, oh, yeah. that's awesome! What a great opportunity. Oh, very cool. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to, to hear just the awesome story that you're going to tell us. I'm super excited that you're involved in, in just passionately doing things for Jesus. We just want to affirm your ministry, and well, time's yours. All right. Well, you know, it's. I think everyone uh, who has been part of a family, I know that some people, you know, have been removed or, you know, grew up in foster care and so forth, but whatever kind of relationships we grow up with, in our family dynamics, they're always so important. I often have, you know, students or I guess people, church members, friends come and share different things that they're going through in their family. Um, and I just, today, and for anyone listening, I just really want to share the power of intercessory prayer and the power of Christ's reconciliation. Because uh, for me, growing up, uh, I came from a broken home and when I was just five years old, my parents got divorced and I was sent to live with my grandparents, which I loved and I love my grandparents. They were like the best I could ever hope for, have so many amazing memories and just bonding times with them. Um, and then on the flip side, uh, you know, when I would see my mom uh, every now and then, there was always kind of this disconnect with her. Now, hmm. I know that a lot of people experience some kind of, I don't know, I guess the hardships in trying to connect in general with their parents because of the age difference, because obviously they have the authority and all that kind of thing. Um, for me, it was, I think, a little bit even more complicated because my mom had come from an abusive kind of background with my father um, before they were divorced. And, you know, there's that saying, hurt people, hurt people. Mm. And, uh, you know, that was kind of true. Even, you know, my dad hurt her and, you know, um, I guess in a way she hurt myself and my brother and then we hurt each other and 
and, you know, I'd go to school and be a bully, but obviously at home is where it was really painful. And, you know, when things are said, not necessarily physical abuse, um, but, you know, when things are said, you know, emotional abuse is such a strong power, which sometimes people are like, oh, no, but it's okay. And, you know, they brush it aside, but words really can hurt people. And, um, you know, some of the things that my mum said to me really, uh, you know, damaged and hurt me at that time and mm. my mum had left the church because of you know different things that were going on and gossip and people taking sides where they should have just stayed out of it all together and um, as I grew up with my grandparents it was just really um, sad for me growing up in church knowing that I loved Jesus knowing that my mum had rejected not only church but really God and as I grew older with my grandparents um, you know uh, being brought up to know of a God of love, of a God who cares for me and who wants what's best for me. And really, I believe having my grandparents' intercessory prayers for me being heard so that I could come to have faith in Jesus. When I was older and I moved in with my mom, um, there was this massive disconnect between the two of us. And it was really hurtful for me, you know, when she would say things to me like, oh, your God doesn't give a beep about me. Um, you know, he's a sadistic God because she didn't understand mm. that it's not God's fault that sometimes people choose to hurt people, you know. And as the time went on, um, because I realized the importance and the power of the intercessory prayer that my grandparents did for me, um, I started praying for my mom and just hoping that she would see that God is real and that God loves her. And, yeah, just the power that he had to heal her and to heal, well, definitely to heal me and to heal our relationship. And, you know, as the years went by and I lived with her, eventually started having Bible studies with her, started having Bible studies with someone uh, at my church. And um, eventually uh, she made the decision to accept Jesus as her personal savior. She made the decision to accept God Amen. as her, not only her savior, but her healer. And... I just want to testify today of the blessing of having a relationship with my mother now that is so different from, you know, the words that used to hurt and bring me down when I was a child or when I was younger to now, um, you know, obviously she's still human, I'm still human, we're still fiery Latinas, we might have disagreements sometimes, but at the end of the day, no matter what, I can call my mom and... You know, now it's from like, oh, let me pray for you. Let me pray for, you know, these things that are going on um, in church or, or in the world, like coronavirus, or let's intercede now together and pray for this other family member that we have. Let's fast and pray together. Like, I just thank God for his power to change lives. And I just, today, really just wanted to talk about the power of intercessory prayer because I, if it wasn't for my grandparents' intercessory prayers for me, I probably would still be an atheist. I might uh, just not know anything about the amazing love and character, patience, kindness, the amount of love and blessing that God just wants to pour out on each and every one of us. Um, I just thank my, my grandparents for their prayers for me, and I thank God for listening to my prayers mm. and the prayers of our church family, our family, for my mum. And I just want to thank God for his power to not only reconcile my mum to himself, but to reconcile us in our relationship, to now make her a prayer warrior, mm. to now make her someone that I could actually feel safe, you know, talking with or having a conversation with. Um, yeah, I just want to praise God for his power to heal us, his power to reconcile us to himself, 
and his power to reconcile us with one another and to heal. And I guess even to bring humility to, for me to come to my mom and say, hey, mom, I'm sorry for these things that I did when I was younger. And for her to come and say, hey, I'm sorry for these things that I said or did to you when you were younger. Because, yeah, I think humility is something that only comes from God. Uh, while we're all growing and none of us are perfect, I just thank God for his power to change us. And I thank him for the privilege of prayer. Um, totally. If, actually, if anyone has a book, Steps to Christ, there's a little chapter there called The Privilege of Prayer, and I highly recommend that chapter because it's just amazing that we have the power of God. All we've got to do is just reach out and talk to him, and he's always listening, and he always gives us an answer. It might not be the answer we want, that we want to hear. It might be no, it might be wait. Sometimes he'll say yes, but he'll always do what's right because he loves us. I love that. That's so good. You know, that story is amazing. It was just how God has worked in, in your life, in your mother's life, to bring that reconciliation, to, to use you as a vessel for the gospel into your mom's life. That's a powerful and profound story. And I love what you're talking about there with intercessory prayer, to intercede, to pray for somebody who is perhaps not even praying for themselves, that God hears our prayers. I was reminded of a, a, a verse. It's um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication, which just means request, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Um, and praying for opportunities that we might be able to share the gospel. I love that. That's super cool. Is there any, any final words that you'd like to say to our listeners today? Um, just pretty much the words of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, um, especially with our family members. Let's do this. Let's be bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's pray for God's strength that he can help us to forgive and to heal one another. Totally. Oh, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Abby, for your time. May God bless you in your ministry and in your family and in your prayer, um, your prayer ministry, too. Thank you so much for your time. Likewise to you. God bless. God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Thank Thanks, Abby. You!
You're listening to Real Faith, but it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. You're listening to Faith FM Radio with Robbie and Tash. This is Real Faith. And uh, before we get into our Bible study, we're going to do a little bit of our discussion time. And uh, our discussion topic today is, have you got it there for us, Tash? I do. It says, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? Oof. So yeah. you can get in on this action, by the way. You can do so by sending in your questions, the question that you would like to ask God, by calling or texting 491 Zero six four double six nine. That's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. Because we'd love to hear from you as well, and we've got some that have contacted us via our uh, Facebook page with yep. some responses. So, this what's the first one? The first one here is from Michael, and it says, "Why are there so little signs, wonders, and miracles? People are desperate and and being defiled by witches and doctors who only believe in surgery and poisonous treatment." I believe in the impossible by the word of God, but it's not been seen much. Oh, that's a good question. Why? Yeah. Why are we not seeing miracles like we did? So, uh, at least, at least, not so common, widespread as it seemed to be in the early church. That's a great question, Michael. That's a question that I think we all would like to know a little bit mm. more about the answer to. Um, interesting, interesting. So we'd love to hear from you what your questions are. We won't have time necessarily to get them in for um, a full Bible study. But as a side note, if you send in some questions that you'd like us to have a look at for our question of the week, our first caller in for that today is going to receive a free copy of a book called The Essential Jesus. And I love this idea. This book is a thoughtful book looking at the relevancy for for Jesus as our Savior today. It's a defense of the biblical, historical viewpoint of Jesus. So if you've ever wondered about who Jesus was as a real human being living on this earth, what evidence there is for that, you call in with a question, and you'll be, and if you're the first one, you'll get a free copy of that. So please make sure you call in for a question of the week at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And uh, after our next session, we'll uh, come in with some more of those responses. All right, well, let's get into our Bible study. Tash, would you like to pray for us before we get into Exodus chapter 6? Yeah, sure. Let's do this. Dear God, we just ask for your blessing to be upon us now and help us to see um, you and your word and help us to, um, yeah, just to unpack and to see what you want us to see and to learn what you want us to learn from your word today. Um, yeah, just be a blessing upon uh, those who are hearing as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are continuing our study of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 6. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament. And in Exodus chapter 5, last week, we looked at the part of the story where Moses has first gone in with Aaron to see Pharaoh and to make the request that the Israelites would be able to go out of Egypt into the wilderness, a three days journey to worship God. And Pharaoh has said no, and then Pharaoh made life harder for the Israelites by giving them the same quota to do, but saying, we're not going to, you You still have to make this amount of bricks every day, but you're not going to just make bricks with straw that we give you. You're going to now go find the ingredients yourself, scavenge the forest for them, and then come back and still have to make the same amount of bricks. So they didn't respond well to that. The people come out and they say to Moses, you are the fault. You're at fault here. And Moses goes away, and we finished off last week with Moses' response, and I'll just read that for a quick review. 
and that's Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Moses speaks to the Lord and says, Lord, why? That's a familiar word, isn't it? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Mm. And that's where we finished off last week. And the real question that I had at the end of the show last week is what is God going to do in response to that? How is God going to reply? So Tash, can I get you to read for us Exodus chapter six? Let's read verse one through verse nine. Okay. Um, We're in chapter six, one to nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land, which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Hectic passage. Wow. I love this. I love this. There's so many cool things in this passage. Hey, Yes, so many cool things. First thing that sticks out to me is the first thing that God says is now you shall see what I will do. Right. What was his question? What was his complaint? You haven't done anything. You told me to come here, God, but I'm not seeing any results. And God's first response is now you will see. You will see. I will show you. Isn't that beautiful? Anything jump out to you there, Tash? Uh, uh, anything? Anything? You said there were so many things. <laughs> well, from the whole passage, yeah. the we read, yeah, yeah. it just continues to say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Yeah, throughout it. Like, don't forget that I am still God. I am still sovereign. I am still here. Even though it looks like I'm not doing something, I am still here. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's interesting to note that he he says there, there's something about the way that that God has is going to reveal himself here now to Moses and to the Israelites that is different than the way that he reveals himself to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And it's, it's exciting. And when we come back, we're going to hear more about what exactly it is that he's going to do that's going to make that the case. This is Malvinus, and the song is entitled, In My Heart.
this is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study, I'm super excited to talk about that last passage in more detail. There's so many cool things. But before we do that, let's uh, let's hear another uh, another discussion topic response. So our question today again is. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? Oh, good, good. Oh, powerful. Um, the other response we had here was um, from Shell, and she says, Can you please tell me some stories from things you did before the time of Earth? Um, to, or, yeah. Uh, there must have been epic stories uh, before we started getting a glimpse of our portal in time. Yeah, think about that. Like, mm. like the, the Bible does talk a little bit about life about some of the things that went on before the world was created, but it doesn't talk much about it. Like it lets us know there was a war in heaven, revelation 12. There are little glimpses of, of that controversy between, you know, between Michael and Satan or Michael and the dragon, as it says it in, um, in revelation 12, this, this controversy between good and evil. So we know that the angels existed before the earth was created, but we don't know all that much. And I'm sure that who knows how long that was. There'd be a, Epic. I think that's a great word. Lots of stories. Yeah. Won't that be cool in eternity to be able to speak to the angels and to learn of things that we have no idea about now? That Pretty cool. That's us. a great yeah. question. I love it. Great question. All right. We're going to jump back into Exodus chapter six. And before we read any further, I think I just want to highlight a couple of things that, that stuck out. Oh, so good. Sorry. I've just got too many thoughts. I love this. What kind of covenant does he say? Is he quoting? Is he saying our covenant, your covenant, my covenant? He's talking about the covenant that he has. Yeah. And he says it's but, my covenant, no. right? I love that. In verse verse 5, he says, and I have remembered my covenant. I love that. Not our covenant, my covenant, because it puts the onus on God. Because we fail over and over and over again, but God never fails. I love that. And then he says, therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And then check this out. Just listen to the I wills, right? I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from your bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Notice how many times in there did he say you will? He says that five times. Well, no, no, no. You oh, no, no, you, oh, whoa, whoa. No, you misheard me. Whoa. How many times does he say you will? He doesn't say you will at all. Zero. Zero. How many times does he say I will? Okay, five times. Five times, that's five right. Times. And I think this is incredibly profound. Mm. This is the beauty of the gospel. And when you look at when you look at Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments are given, most people don't, most people ignore the first part of the Ten Commandments because it says, and the Lord spoke saying these words, Right. And then he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Point number one, before Jesus or before God gives the Ten Commandments, he prefaces it with that statement. I am the Lord. Remember who I am, the one who rescued you, the one who redeemed you. And here he's saying, this is the promise. You will know. You will know, Moses, that I am the Lord. You will know when I deliver you with a strong hand. You watch because I remembered my covenant. Not that you remembered it. I did. And I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will make you my people. I will be your God. Right? All this stuff. It's God who's got the impetus behind it. He's the one who's doing it. And our response is to hear, believe, obey. Right? Like Moses is accounted. It's, it's accounted to Moses' righteousness because he believes. And that's why he walks. Because he believes. Yeah. I love it. Oh, ah, so good. So good. So good. Anything else so, before no, we move no. on? Uh, and it's very powerful that it, 
yeah, constantly reminding him that I will, that it's him that's instigating it in this relationship as well. It's my covenant and I will continue to, yeah, hold up my end of this covenant. I love it. So good. So he comes out and he does what God says. He speaks to the Israelites, but they are so brought down and bogged down by the oppression that they are experiencing that they do not listen to Moses. They're not encouraged. They're so downcast that they don't even, they don't even listen to his voice. And what happens next? So let's go, let's read on from verse 10 through 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. All right. So, so Moses comes back to God and he's like, Hey, what's, what's going on? God says, Hey, you need to go and speak. And he says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. Now that's a really weird thing for us to say in our Western context. Doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. Yeah. It simply means somebody who doesn't speak well. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I don't know how to talk well. I'm, I can't, I didn't convince these people. Like I, I just went out on a limb and I spoke to the people myself. I didn't let Aaron speak. I spoke. And uh, they didn't. They didn't respond positively. So what am I going to do here? What about? Uh, I can't talk, God. And so God lovingly, kindly, gently says, "Aaron is going to speak. You go with Aaron. Aaron will again will be like the prophet. You you go do your thing. Yeah. Right. Go tell them what I've told you to tell them. And I love this because it's really neat to think about. And I love this in the story with Moses that over and over and over again we see the weakness of Moses. We see the weakness of his dedication and yet God continues to use him. Mm. And that's an, I think an encouragement that we all need at times when we're trying to do what God has called us to do because it's never easy. It's, it's never easy. There are different challenges that come at different times, but the reality is when you're going where God calls you to go and you're dragging your feet and you're kicking and screaming and you're like, I don't want to do it. And he says, well, go come with me. Look how gentle God is with leading. Look at how God provides ways to help him through that process. Now, by the way, if he had just done it himself and not not needed to wait for God to give him Aaron, he might not have had so many problems with Aaron later. But anyway, <laughs> there, there's always, con- <laughs> what was that? Consequences, consequences, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. But I love that God is patient and working with Moses where he is. He's not He's not harsh and and rejecting him, but he's willing to work with him throughout the whole journey. And just like that, he will do that with you. This is Adam Baker, Build Your Kingdom.
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. Sorry, we, we just came back on while we lost our screen, you were laughing. But it's back on. All right. <laughs> You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. And don't worry, it sounded like Tash was gasping for air, but she was just making a funny voice. Anyway, this is Faith FM Radio. You're listening to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. And before we get back into our Bible study, and we're about, by the way, to get into the genealogy. But before you turn your radio station dial to a different station, 
we're going to, we're going to summarize it and there's going to be some cool stuff in this genealogy that's going to be mind blowing. Yeah. Stick around. So stick around. make sure you hang out for that. All right. Discussion response. The question again today is if you could ask God just one question, what would it be? And our next response here is from um, Goran and it says, why was I born on a sinful planet? Oh, mm. what a question. What a question. You know, I was actually, I was listening to something today that I think is really interesting it kind of relates to that. It's, it's a huge question. Why was I born here and not born somewhere else? But um, one of the things that I think is really fascinating is the chances of you being born as you are are just so slim that it's ridiculous. If you think about the thousands of eggs that a, a woman's body produces and the fact that that one egg that contributes half of your genetic material, 23 chromosomes, right, to you, you being who you are, um, and then the the hundreds of millions of sperm that are, are that are there in that one instant that one of them joined that one egg and without those two things joining you wouldn't exist mm. right you as a human being as a person as a, a living soul as the bible describes it you wouldn't you would never have existed right like you wouldn't be you and that's just mind blowing to think about and sometimes cuz i've asked that question too goran i think i think it's a huge question and it's challenging why are we reborn here and not born in some unfallen place in the universe but the the reality is whatever the answer to that question we have we have a great opportunity to do with it what we can but i love that that's a great question if you'd like to get in for your discussion topics if you'd like to get your question in and you might be able to get a double whammy your question of the week could be the question that you want to ask god as well and um, we may or may not be able to answer that but we'll try our best from scripture but if you want to do that you can call or text in at zero four nine one. 064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And the first caller in for our question of the week. So if you can tailor those two things in the same call or text, then you can get that as well. It's going to get a free copy of a book called The Essential Jesus, The Man, The Message, The Mission, which goes through a defense of the biblical historical viewpoint and the relevancy of Jesus for today. And I'd love to highly recommend that. So call in with your questions and we would love to hear from you. All right, we're back into Exodus chapter 6. Now, before you get too bummed about us reading through a genealogy, because I know if you've got the Bible in front of you, you're like, that's like three paragraphs, Robbie, or the two long ones at least. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to highlight four of those verses rather than reading through this long list of names and you forgetting and not listening. We're going to read through that. So we're going to read verse 14, 16, 18, 20, and 26. All right, you ready for this? We're not going to read them that fast. We're just going to read them one by one. So can you read for us verse 14? These are the heads of their father's houses. The son of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanok, Pelu, Hezron, and Kami. These are the families of Reuben. Okay, so first of all, it starts off with the genealogy with the firstborn son of Jacob or Israel. That's typical. It goes through. But then he's, he races through and he goes through the sons that come before Levi. Levi was one of the the sons of, oh, her name is escaping me, Leah, I believe. And uh, if I'm wrong on that, make sure you text in and correct me. I'm pretty sure it was Leah. Um, and now we're going to go through the genealogy of Levi. Now, the question you got to keep in the back of your mind is why? Right. Sometimes we forget that genealogies exist for a reason. And the question is, why is this included and why is it included here? So keep that in the back of your mind. And let's let's read verse 16. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were one hundred and thirty seven. OK, so Levi had three sons, Gershon, 
Kohath, and Merari. Now we're going to follow the lineage of one of those sons in verse 20. No, not 20, 18. Sorry, verse 18. I skipped a generation. (laughs) So Levi has a son. And the sons of Kohath were Amram, Isha, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. Awesome. Okay, so Levi has a son named Kohath. Kohath has a son named Amram. All right, let's read verse 20. Now Amram took for himself Jochebed, his father's sister, as wife. And she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. Awesome. So Levi has Kohath. Kohath has. Everyone's like, oh man, what was that name? It's so hard to remember. Amram. Amram. Amram has. Aaron and Moses. Aaron and Moses. Now here's a question. Levi, one generation. How many generations are there between Levi entering Egypt as the first generation to come into Egypt and the generation that Moses is. So Levi's number one. He has a son named Kohath. That's number two, who has a son named Amram. That's number three, who has Aaron and Moses. That's number four. four. How many generations are there between the arrival in Egypt and this story? So there's four generations. Four generations. Now hold that thought for a moment and think back to Genesis chapter 15, which we've actually studied on this show before. Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram or Abraham And he says a prophecy, right? He says, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. They're going to go to this place. They're going to have the land before them. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. This will be the sign, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says a very interesting prophecy. So this is Genesis 15, verse 13. God says to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them. How many years? 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. That means you will die. You'll be buried with your ancestors. You shall be buried at a good old age. Verse 16. But in the fourth generation... They shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And the point of this genealogy is to say this is happening right on time.
Listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study, let's get a, let's hear another discussion response. The question today was: If you could ask God one question, what would it be? And this is our last response here from um, our Facebook page, and it goes like this: Can you tell me about the Genesis six time before the flood, please, Father? I love it. You know, it's a super great question because. Man, there is so much that we just don't. There's, there's actually a, there's a term for that time period. It's called antediluvian, right? And that's just a super Latin sounding word. Anti means before, a n t e, not anti, anti. And diluvian would be before the deluge, right? So anti before diluvian deluge. So the people who lived before the deluge of the flood. But you got to think about like. Imagine, just imagine what in the world the people would be able to accomplish if they lived for the time periods now that they lived before the flood. We're talking multiple centuries, right? People were living hundreds, plural, sets of hundreds of years. And in that time, there's a lot that you can learn. And if you think about the fact that humanity's, we have degraded a lot. Like we're, we are, uh, what's the word for that? Is it entropy or atrophy? I'm having a mind blank. Anyway, one of those kinds of words. We're, we're not getting better in many ways, but getting worse in a lot of ways. So just imagine what in the world it could have been like then. Who knows what kind of technology they figured out? Who knows? It's pretty crazy. We have no idea how they built the pyramids. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So who knows what they had before then? Anyway, back into our Bible study. Oh, before we do that again, you can call or text in for question of the week for a free copy of The Essential Jesus, The Man, The Message, The Mission. The first caller in for that is going to get that free copy. Um, you can also send in your responses to that discussion question, and you can do so by calling or texting 491 that's zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. All right, so we've gone through the genealogy, and I love, I love this. I just, I just want to highlight: God is a keeper of His promises. He had told Abraham four generations, four hundred years, and when we get to this period, we've got the same Moses and Aaron who we're talking about in the story, and it highlights here that this was one, two, three, precisely four generations from arrival to Egypt. This is the fourth generation, and they're about to be set free from Egypt according to the prophecy of God because God's word never fails. And I love this. If God's promise to Abraham about a 400-year prophecy in advance fits exactly to his word, then we can be assured that God's promises to us are just as certain. And I love that. We can trust and hold on to the words of God. All right, let's continue reading. Uh, let's just read on from verse 27, and we'll keep going into chapter 7. These are the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? Continue on. Yep. 
So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. I love it. Oh, so good. There are a lot of cool things in this little in this little passage that are worth pointing out. Um, I think it's really amazing to note. Like there's, there's two things. One, there's a I think there's a big elephant in the room kind of question that sticks out. And that's that it says here that God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, here's a question. Does that mean that God is is overriding his free will and forcing him to harden his heart? What do you reckon? No, no, I don't think so. That's <laughs> I thought you might have more to say than that because you're a theology student. Um, it's okay. It's, you don't have to say more than that. I think, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. Whatever's going on here is that God is doing these things, and the result is that Pharaoh's heart becomes hard. That doesn't mean that God overrode his free will. Pharaoh had free will and to be able to choose what to do with these, with this evidence that was put before him and how he would respond. And you know, it's interesting. Sometimes when you harden your heart to something, even when the evidence gets more and more obvious, people can become so adamant about their position that it, the more evidence they see, the more they actually turn away from what the evidence is saying. Does that make sense? Like I've seen this happen to people. They become belligerent. They become ignorant. And then because they can see more evidence that they're wrong, they just become more stubborn. And I think that's what's going on here. And we'll see that throughout the 10 plagues that are coming, that Pharaoh responds in a similar way over and over and over again. He hardens his heart. And in the language portrays that too. One other thing I think is super fascinating in this section, and I love this. I just think this is the heart of God all over. Notice that he says, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. But in verse 5, it says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt. And I love this because this highlights to me something huge. God's intention was not only that the people who were descendants of Abraham would be followers of God. His desire was that they would be called out to be a special and a peculiar people, not because they would be the only ones who would choose God, but they were set apart for a reason. And that reason was to be lights to the world that others might have a better chance of knowing God. They were to follow God faithfully and to represent him well so that the people around would be exposed to that and would be drawn to choose to accept that God themselves. And his desire here is not just for the Israelites to be rescued from Egypt, but also for the Egyptians themselves to have an opportunity through seeing these evidences to choose God for themselves and also to be saved.
are listening to Faith FM Radio. This is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. And uh, man, it's been so good. We uh, are going to get right back into our Bible study. We've got the news coming up shortly after after this next little section. So um, we want to make the most of our time here. Uh, but you can still call or text in with your discussion topic responses. So what's our question today? Dun, dun, dun. If, if you had one question you could ask God, what would it be? Awesome. And also, if you send that text by text or calling in, you can also kind of double up and say, hey, this is this is my question also for Question of the Week. You can do a two-for-one special today on that. And uh, the first caller in for Question of the Week is going to receive a free copy of a book called The Essential Jesus, The Man, The Message, The Mission. Who was Jesus? And are the gospel accounts of his life, death, and teachings reliable? Why did he die? Was he really raised from the dead? These are the questions that will be explored, among others, in this book. So I highly recommend that you call in for that one, and you can uh, have a chance at getting that. You can do that by calling or texting 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Oh, I love it. We were having some great conversation on off air. I think it's, I think it'll come up. It'll just come up when it comes up, but great stuff. I think it's pretty amazing that, that God's plan. And and by the way, no, I'll just say it now. The, The people are suffering. Why would God allow the people to suffer? Why didn't God just come in and boom, they were taken straight out of there. Why did he give Pharaoh an opportunity to respond when Pharaoh could easily abuse them and did? And, and, and here's the point. Sometimes God allows the suffering to continue for the sake of the opportunity for salvation for the others, right? Sometimes my suffering might be prolonged. Sometimes God may delay to answer a prayer for healing. Sometimes God may delay to do something in my life. And I think, why, God, why? Why have you done nothing yet? And I'm asking the question like Moses. And he says, so that you shall know and so that Pharaoh shall know that I am the Lord. What does this mean? This means that there will be opportunity for others through your suffering to be exposed to the story of God and to be able to see the light of the gospel and to have an opportunity to accept or reject it. And I love that. That's what's going on here. And I think it's a huge point. This is one of the reasons that God is doing this. Why didn't God just poof, do it all in one moment? Well, that would not have given the opportunity for people to choose by faith to accept the message. And we're going to see Are there fruits to this? Do any of the Egyptians come across? And we're going to find out at the end of this story whether that's the case or not. So you'll have to stick around for however many weeks it takes us to get through the plagues. All right, let's read through. I think this will probably be our last section. Let's read through from Exodus 7, verse 8 through 13. And Moses was 80 years old. I'll read from 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Whew. Okay, so short version of the story is they go in, Pharaoh demands a miracle, and what is what is Moses instructed to do? Get Aaron to throw the staff down, I'll turn it into a serpent, God says, just like I did for you before when you showed it to the Israelites. Okay, now when he does that, what happens? 
He throws his down. It turns into a serpent. And then what if Pharaoh's sorcerers, what if Pharaoh's religious leaders, what if Pharaoh's priests and enchanters do? They also do the same thing. They do the same thing. And not just one of them. And this is huge. This is huge. This is not like a card trick. This is not like a sleight of hand. It says explicitly, the Bible says that these men who were worshipers of demons, right, worshipers of false gods, they threw down their staves and they also turned them into serpents. Now, this is huge. Don't miss this point. Don't miss this point at all. This is a miracle done not by God's power, by people who worship Satan. This is huge. Why does this matter? And why do I say this? Because we're going to find out this week and next week that not all, not all of God's miracles, but some of God's miracles that he performs in Egypt are counterfeited and done by other powers than God. And why is that significant to know? It's significant to know because angels do have power. We see that angels do things in the stories, but what are demons? Demons are angels who have sinned and left God's presence. And when we think about this, this is, I think this is so significant. We need to not be silly about these things. We need to know and understand that, that there are other agencies out there that are at work and they do not have the same ability and power as God. There is a limit to their ability and there is a limit to their power and there's a limit to their authority because notice what what is what does God's snake in the story do? It eats not just one, not just two. Every single one of these other the counterfeit miracle snakes, it eats all of them and consumes them, which is a demonstration that God's powers, God's miraculous supernatural things are overpowering the abilities, the supernatural abilities of the devil and his fallen angels. This is significant, and it's significant for a number of reasons. But I want to read a passage to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse uh, 13 to 15. Oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. Oops, wrong one. Anyway, I'm going to flip there really quickly, and it talks about how the devil is able to transform himself. Check this out. Verse 14. It's uh, verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. In other words, false teachers. Verse 14, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And here's the point. We need to be discerning between truth and error. We need to be discerning between things that God is doing and things that the devil is doing. We need to be able to discern between what is right and what is wrong, between what is God's doing and what is not God's doing. And here's the point. This is also includes in the scriptural account in the Old Testament, and, it, and the Revelation tells us this will happen towards the end of time, that there will be counterfeit miracles performed by workers who will put on the appearance of being followers of God, but who are not. In Second Timothy, it talks about this again, and it, it, it's interesting. It talks about false teachers who are misleading people who have been followers of Jesus. And check out what it says. We actually preached about this last week at my church. And it says this. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Check this out. This is mind-blowing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 6 through 9. It says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Anyway, in other words, what he's saying is it's, it's leading people into sexual morality, trying, but they're coming in as, as so-called Christian teachers, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then it makes this comparison. Verse 8. 
Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, in Jewish tradition, those were the two, those were the names of two of the magicians that were in that crew that turned their staves into serpents. That's the comparison. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these false teachers also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. And here's the point. You need to remember that as we look at any of these things, when we see these things taking place, we have to ask the question, what does God's word say? What does the spirit of God teach us? Because I don't have the ability in and of myself to discern between one supernatural event and another supernatural event. Who's right? Who's wrong? Point is, God's word is the word that tells us how to discern those things. God's spirit is the spirit who tells us how teaches us how to discern those things. Jesus said that when my spirit comes, when the comforter comes, he will teach you, he will lead you into all truth. He will remind you of what I said. And so we can have that protection. We can have that care by staying strong in the word of God, by the power of his grace and through his Holy Spirit. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show.
We are back. This is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And, uh, hey, our, our, our friend, uh, our friend in Hiki is doing our production today and he's doing a great job. Now, I don't know if uh, this is going to work because I didn't ask him beforehand, but do you know where the button is for our little jingle for our uh, thing? What time is it in Hiki? Oh man, the things that you do after after uh, work finishes on the radio, and you, you're goofing off, and then eventually they land in Radio Land. Hopefully, that's not offensive to anyone. But I, I love that little groove, jazzy tune; it's so yeah, good, it's really good, so good. So it's time for our question of the week session, and we have a question in today from Nick. So thank you for calling in, Nick, and. Um, we believe this is what was meant by the question, so hopefully this answers your question. It says, why is it so hard to get a circumcision reversed? Why was it allowed in the first place? So I can't really answer the first part of that question. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. But why was circumcision called for in the Bible? I think it's a very good theological question. And um, we're going to try and keep this discreet. So hopefully if you're a young listener out there, this we're going to try and keep this PG rated. Um I can't really probably keep it totally G-rated because it is what it is, but it's in the Bible, and so that's why we'll talk about it. Um, the, the, it's a great question. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant for Abraham's people. You'll notice a couple of things that are really interesting. Number one, circumcision was a sign that was applicable to the Jews until the coming of Christ, because when we read through the New Testament writings, we see that keeping of Torah outside of the moral law begins to not begins but is 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 set apart as something different that is not necessarily necessary to be a follower of Jesus circumcision being the sign of that circumcision is no longer necessary as a part as a sign of the covenant of being one of God's followers so we see that that is done away with the morality of the old testament torah is not done away with the 10 commandments are not done away with there's a distinction there but circumcision is done away with um However, why was it there in the first place? Because it's a very strange practice to put in there. It's a dangerous practice. If you think about the context with Abraham living in the desert at the time that he lives, you've got to think there's no antiseptic materials that are quite like what we have now. We have no, uh, what's, what's the word for, uh, anest- is it anesthetic? Put anesthetic. you asleep? Yeah. Is that, do I have the right word? Yeah. Anesthesiologist. Yes. One of my friend's dads growing up was an anesthesiologist. That's right. So there's nothing like that. So you don't have necessarily... And no concept of germs. Yeah, that's right. This is yeah. before Pascal and all of that stuff. So yes. so this was a dangerous procedure. It was potentially life-threatening and in a sensitive area, it could, it could go wrong. Why would God do this? Why would God call for that? And that's a fair question. So to answer that, let's go to Genesis chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, there's a very interesting thing that takes place. Now, God had made a covenant with Abram, and he had said to him, I will make you a father of many nations. In Genesis 15, in fact, God shows up to Abram, and and he says, I will be with you. I am your exceedingly great reward. And Abram's like, dude, uh, how how are you going to do all this stuff? I'm childless. The person who's going to be my heir won't be my son. It'll just be my servant, right? My chief servant. He's going to be the one who takes all of my possessions. He's going to be the, the successor. And God says, no, 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 no. You are going to have a seed, a, a son of your own flesh and blood. I'm going to do that miracle. Now, remember, when, when Abraham receives this call, if I remember correctly, he's around 75 years old. And Ab- Abraham's wife was 65 years old, and it says she was past the time of childbearing, which my understanding would be she's postmenopausal. So this is this is actually needing to be miraculous. 
And she's been barren all this time before that as well. So in this context, God is saying, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, and I'm going to do it by my word, by my power, and you're just going to have to believe me. And they wait, and they wait, and it's about 10 years later. They're still waiting for this promise. And in Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. And so they followed an ancient custom of the, of the region, which is not what God called them to do, where he, she would give him her handmaiden for them to conceive a child. She would give birth to it literally on her, on Sarah's knees, and then it would be considered her child and she would raise it. And so she convinces Abraham. He thinks this is a good idea. And they do this. And Hagar has a son, Ishmael. And then later on, we come to Genesis chapter 17 and God's, God says, Hey, I'm going to come and fulfill this promise to you. And when you come to this section, it says in verse seventeen, or chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram, do you want to read this for us, Tash? Yeah, sure. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Awesome. Let's pause there. So he says, Abraham, like, you got to think this, from 75 to 85, and now it's approximately 13 years later, right? Like, it's been almost 25 years. He's now got a 13-year-old son named Ishmael through Hagar. Through his own cultural custom, he has tried to bring about God's promise by his own plans, by his own means, not by God's ways, but by his ways. And so God then has this conversation, says, hey, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abram's like, yes, this is great, Lord. And he says, all right, so here's what's going to happen. You, uh, you need to keep my covenant, and this is going to be the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant is going to be to circumcise yourself and all the males of your family. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to do that. You're going to cut the foreskin off of your member. And that's what's going to be done. And everybody in your household is going to have that. All of your children, it's going to happen. We find out later it's on the eighth day that they do that, all of that stuff. And then he says to him, and I'm going to give you a son. And he's, he's, you're going to name him Isaac, right? And he says to him, Oh, no, 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 no. Ishmael, my son. Yeah. You've given me Ishmael. He'll be the son of the promise. He's the son you promised me. And God says, no. Ishmael is not the son of the promise. Isaac will be the son of promise. And a year from now, you're going to have a baby. And he falls on his face and laughs. And he says, no, in one year, you're going to have a child through Sarah, your wife, according to my plan, according to my supernatural power. So here's the question. Why, in the context of that story, would God make the sign, the symbol of the covenant, circumcision? And I think it's simple. It's simply because that was the thing that Abraham used to try and get God's will done by his own means, instead of trusting God to do it for him. Mm. So every time he would, you know, go to the toilet, he would be reminded, it's not me doing things by my might or by my power, but God accomplishes his promise. He keeps his covenant by his power, his way, according to his word. It's not my works. It's God's works. It's not by my works. It's by my faith in God to do his works. And so when he believes and obeys, (laughs) Sarah gets pregnant and then 
that sign is always a remembrance. It's not my works. It's God's works that brought about the fulfillment of God's promise. So I hope that answers your question, Nick. This is the promise. listening to Faith FM. This is Real Faith with Robbie and Tash, and uh, we're super excited to have you with us as we close up the show. So, oh, there's so there's so many cool things that we've talked about today um, on the show, and this passage of Scripture has been just really profound in Exodus chapter 6 and 7. Um, what are some lessons? Let's, let's try and draw out some real applications. What can we draw out of this story? Because, let's, let's be honest, the, we can all 
read the Bible and try and be scholarly and we can speculate and do all of that cool stuff. And it's, it's great to wrestle through the word of God. But I think that the reason that it's wrestling is not so much the intellectual difficulties or the, the, the different things that we have to think about. It's more about how do we practically apply this in our life that I think can often become the more challenging thing. We can think through and reason through and find those things, but education doesn't count for anything until it, until it becomes practical in your life. You can, you can know a lot of head knowledge, but it doesn't make you good at stuff. It doesn't, you know, you, you get what I mean? My dad used, my dad was, it worked in construction. Like, Robert, you attacking me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Education's great. Education's but education great. applied is what's great. Yeah. Education not applied is a waste of time. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. I won't tell my anecdote. I don't need to. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Cool. Okay. All right. So what can we apply? What can we draw out of this story? What, anything that stuck out to you, Tash? Uh, I love that. Okay. Cause we started, uh, we finished off chapter five with the question that Moses had mm. and that, which was well, why, which is why, why? And this is, this is definitely a question that we all ask, like, why Lord, why, why is there suffering? Why am I going through this? Why is this taking so long? Or why am I in this situation? And he definitely answers that time and time again. I will, I will, I will just watch, just wait, wait and watch. And so, yeah, definitely in the first part of the chapter. And then, um, just having a look at the genealogy and just some of the things we gleaned from there, especially the fulfillment of this prophecy, um, that is given to Abraham. And yeah, just see that it, it happens exactly on time as it, yeah, ex- exactly as it was supposed to on time. And yeah, f- to, to get the calculations of 400 years, four generations, I mean, this is the Bible, like just, yeah, proving, proving itself time and time again. Um, also, well, I love that. So I love that. Things. I love that. Let's, let's yeah. talk about that a little bit more because practically what does that mean in our lives? God's word is faithful. And when we see these stories and we learn about these things and we see that God makes promises and keeps promises, it's a faith building thing. So practically, what can we take about that? We can be encouraged to trust God with his promises to us. If God can keep those promises then, then he can keep his promises now. If God's word says there, this is going to happen, then when God says a promise to me like, no temptation has overcome you except that which is common to everybody, God will provide you a way out. Then we can hold on to Jesus when we're struggling and we can trust those things. When we know, when, when, when God says that, you know, I will never leave you nor forsake you then we can know and trust that no matter what it feels like today, God is with me. He has not left me nor forsaken me. And that encouragement to know that God's promises are true, practically speaking, is huge because we can memorize them. We can quote them. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in a dark place in my life and the words of Scripture have come to my mind and I've repeated them and come through by the grace of God, by the power of His Word, through those dark spaces because God's promises carried me through the challenge. So there's a practical application. Totally. I love that. God keeps his promises. Tell us another. God also keeps his promises in that Moses thought that he was inadequate or he did, he wasn't the right man for the job, but God provided someone to go with him. So even when we're in a situation and we, we can't see or hear God, he will provide someone or something that will Help us get through the situation. That's right. He's able to give you assistance. Yes. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, by the way. Yeah, don't not, don't, don't fall into that trap. But, yeah. <laughs> but but that's true. Like he works with him. And I love this. Like I think this is one of the most practical things that we can take out of this is that question of why that you mentioned before. There is space in our relationship with God, no matter how young in the faith 
old in the faith, new to the even the questions of does God exist, is God real, any of those kinds of things. Anywhere where you are on that spectrum or if you're off that spectrum, you can still come to God and there is a conversational, relational aspect where you can bring questions to God. And I get it, like it's tough because I've never heard a literal, audible voice from God. But I tell you what, I have found answers to a lot of my questions that I've asked through Scripture. And I've also seen answers to prayer or or God has demonstrated things to me and, and led me to people who've given me answers. All, I can tell you time and time again, this has happened for me. When I have come to God honestly with the questions of why, and not not why in order to cast doubt and throw him away, but why to really seek for the answer. And Jesus promises, if you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. If you ask, it will be given to you. You got to keep willing, be willing to keep asking and seeking and knocking. So keep those questions open. Come to God. Don't, don't shut it down because God is able to answer those deep questions. And it, it takes time. I tell you, one, one time I was literally giving a Bible study on a topic I didn't, I wasn't a hundred percent sure I believed and I'd been praying about it because I felt hypocritical and I, and I was going in and then God showed me in the middle of this Bible study, boom, the penny dropped and I broke down into tears while I'm doing this Bible study with someone else to try and share this thing. And I was like, it makes sense. It finally makes sense. I get it now. And it was just this mind blowing experience. I'd prayed for that because I didn't understand it for years, this particular question. And he answered me, God is faithful and we can ask him. Another thing that I, I want to take out of this practically is Satan is also able to perform counterfeit signs and wonders. And if that's the case, which scripture affirms is true, then we need to not just trust that anything that's out of the ordinary comes from God, but we need to test it because there are false prophets. There are false Christs. They're all false miracle workers. Jesus himself says that will come. And so if we want to know and discern between someone that is actually sent of God and someone that is not, we need to look at the fruits. We need to see if what they're doing and saying matches with what God has demonstrated through Scripture. Does it match? Are the fruits Christ-like? Are, are they bearing good things? Or are they leading people away into sin? Are they leading people away from what's real, from what God has called us to do and to believe and to see and to be? Um, and this is super significant because there's a lot of spiritualism present in our day today that is not truthful. That is not the real thing. So be be reminded of that and hold on to God's promises and his miracles. Look for the truth and test it according to the word of God. Well, we're going to head off here in a moment. So we just want to invite you to stick around for drive time. And our discussion question for next week will be, what is your favorite book of the Bible? And uh, remember, whatever's going on in your week this week, real faith is live faith. faith.